The story of Yehuda and Tamar is intriguing. Most of us don't realize how intriguing every detail of the story is, including the items that Yehuda gives to Tamar to secure his promise to her that he would give her a gift for the time that they had spent together. Now this is going to start from what Rashi says from Pasuk on the Pasuk, where Yehuda says to Tamar, what security should I give you until I pass on the gifts that I promised you? And she, Tamar, responds, She wants three things. His choysem, which literally means his seal, which we'll see what that means, and his stuff. Rashi focuses on the first two and says we need to understand what they are because a staff is pretty straightforward. The other two are not. And Rashi quotes the Targum Unkros that says it means which means what? He explains. Rashi explains what it is. The word means your signet ring. In those days, instead of writing a signature, you had a signet ring and you used that to seal documents. And your cloak that you used to cover yourself. Straight away, we're going to ask five questions about what Rashi is telling us. We need to understand, Allah, first of all, why does Rashi take the word chosom, which has a direct translation as a stamp, and retranslate it? Instead of using the simple dein stempel, your stamp or your seal, why does Rashi go and dafka find the explanation of Unkras and say, is tabas, that it means a ring. What's wrong with saying a seal and it has to be a ring? Likewise, Likewise, Rashi's commentary on the word psilecho also is strange. He quotes the Targum Unkras to say, that it means some kind of a cloak that he covers himself. We know what psil means, and it doesn't mean that. In Tanakh, nowhere else in Tanakh does the word psil represent a cloak. Wherever we look in Tanakh, the word pasil usually refers to a thread or a string. Why does Rashi look for a less likely interpretation? Question number three. The truth is, if you look at Rashi throughout his other commentary in Torah, the word pasil actually doesn't need to be explained. It's a self-evident word. Which is the case for pretty much almost all the words in Tanakh that Rashi doesn't feel he has to explain. Elsewhere in Chumash, Rashi doesn't explain the word Pasil. Why here? Not only that, but we've actually seen Rashi use the word Pasil to explain the word Naftulei in the story of Naftulei Lekim Niftalti. Why here does Rashi have to now tell us what a Pasil is, as if we didn't know? Talad. Fourth question. Let's say there's some compelling reason that in this particular story, Pasil does not mean a string or a thread like everywhere else in Tanakh. Still, then the alternative, if it doesn't mean a string and it doesn't mean a thread, let's at least... Rashi, translate it the way the Rashbam does, which is Pseilecho Ezer, that it's like a girdle. The Baldas and Ezer, Gautas and Lechzach, Hevel and Chut, because it is that kind of belt, that stringy belt that people used to wear, and it's very similar to the word Pasil. So go with the Rashbam's explanation. Why do you take it completely out of context and call it a cloak? 
And lastly, hey, why does Rashi have to even explain all this detail? He quotes the Targum. So now we know that it's a ring and that it's a cloak. Why does he have to explain them? Hezber. Tabas means a ring. That you seal things with a signet ring. And it's a cloak. That you cover yourself with. Well, surely that's obvious. So some of us try to explain that. That the fact that Rashi adds this detail, that it's a ring you use for signing, and a cloak that you use to cover yourself. Rashi's intention is to ask the question, The question we've been asking, where in the words do you find reference to a ring or to a cloak? So Rashi she wants to address that. First, he's Rashi Mavori. First, he explains Tabas Shato Choisem Ba. It's not an ordinary ring, but a signet ring. So, therefore, the Farveta di Tabas Ongrofen Chaisomcha, which is why the Torah calls it the ring, a seal, because it's a ring used for a seal. And Simloscha Shato Miskaseba. And the fact that he says it's a cloak that you cover yourself with, that's because the word cover is really important. Vosmidem is Rashi Meram as if in Posuk the Mephoshim say Rashi wants to allude to the Posuk about tzitzis that says, Gedilim Taseloch, that you should make tzitzis on the corners of your garments. What garments? Kesuscha Shete Chaseba. Garments you cover yourself with. Vogedilim Tzitzis. In other words, it's showing us that fringes belong on garments that you use to cover yourself. Okay, so there would be a link between Pesilecha and the word Simlascha. And therefore, that's how the Mephoshim argue Rashi wants us to understand why here a cloak is called Psilecha. Because it's actually referring to the tassels that are on the edge of that particular garment. And the Mephoshim, by explaining it this particular way, are also able to deflect the challenge that the Ramban um, offers against Rashi, where he says, wouldn't make any sense that he's going to give her his clothing and leave her without clothing. So now we have the answer. We're not talking about the clothes that a person wears to literally clothe themselves, but some additional item of clothing. Something that you would have wore over and above the regular tunic or whatever it is that he wore. In order to fulfill the mitzvah tzitzis. So the Mephoshim want to say, that's why he says it's the one, the ring you use to sign. And Simloscha is Psilecha because it's related to the tassels on the edge of the garment. That's how the Mephoshim explain it. And we're not going to be satisfied with that explanation because that would only explain that there's a possibility that it could be that means a ring and it could be that means a garment. But the question is, who says it has to mean that? There's nothing that shows us that the Simple understanding the Pasuk must mean a signet ring and must mean a cloak. There's nothing in the Pasuk that forces us away from the regular translations of a seal or a belt. Number two. Truth is, 
The question not only still remains, why use these strange translations, Rashi? The question is actually stronger. According to you, the Mephoshim, the Torah is saying certain words, meaning other words. So why does it say a seal and a, and a, um, a seal, a thread, or main and tabas and similar, when it really means a ring and a cloak, with all the explanations we've just given, why didn't the Torah just say it simply? Give me your ring, give me your cloak. And these would not be strange words, these are words that are used in the Torah. So why would the Torah not say what it means? Gimel, furthermore, according to the logic of the Mephorashim, what is the link between Psilecha and a Simla cloak is actually the word Gedilim Taselach. Well, in that case then the Pasuk should have said, give me Gedilecha, your tassels. Because that's the word in the Pasuk that we're using as the proof that Psilecha could mean a, an item of clothing. And lastly, and possibly even most obviously, Rashi writes for the five-year-old, the five-year-old hasn't yet learnt these Psukim, or this concept of Tzitzis. He may wear Tzitzis, but he's never read about it in Torah yet. This is actually the main thing to consider. He has not yet read anywhere in Chumash about Tzitzis. Even though, yes, he's learned to Pirish Rashi, that shame was rewarded because he covered his father and therefore his descendants would get Tzitzis. So from Rashi, the Ben Chumash Mikra knows there's such a thing as Tzitzis. Rashi tells us that Jews have a unique concept of wearing a katalus that has tzitzis on it. But Rashi doesn't say anything about the word psil or the concept of psil. And yet in our pasuk, he doesn't say anything about tzitzis. How's the child going to put the two together to know that psil actually means tzitzis? How is the child learning Chumash for the first time supposed to make the link? So yes, you and I who've learned further on and we know the Pasuk Gedilim Taseloch, we know there's a link between Tzitzis and, and, and Begonim. The child doesn't know this yet. Ah, you'll say Rashi doesn't have to tell him. Because he's wearing Tzitzis at the time he's learning this. And when he says Shema, he says the word Psil, that there's a thread within the Tzitzis that is Techeles blue. Rashi should have at least brought the Pasuk Gedilim, which is supposed to be the Pasuk that tells us that a Simla is something you cover yourself with because that's key to his explanation and the child hasn't learned it yet. So, really what Rashi sees as the reason to explain this way is quite a logical concept about how the story works. Just look at the story logically and you'll understand what Tamara was looking for and what Yehuda had to provide. So the Birindem explanation is this. There's a very simple logical reason why Tamar was not asking Yehuda for his seal. Why not? Because think about where he is and what the context is. Rashi knows that from the parasha where it says, The reason that Yehuda was in that, in that area in the first place was because he went to share his sheep. 
there's no reason why somebody would take their seal, their official seal with them when they're going to share their sheep. So it would be quite far-fetched to imagine Tamara's going to say, oh, you're out here shearing your sheep. Please give me your fancy seal. Because it's really quite simple. Why would Yehuda schlep around his, his seal, which is probably wax and who knows what they use for seal, if he doesn't need it? What would have made Tamar even think that he is carrying his seal with him and therefore ask for it? That the first thing on her list would be, Give me your seal? It's bizarre. So Rashi says that cannot be the explanation. You can't translate Chosam in the normal sense because it doesn't fit the story at all. What's the next closest explanation? That's why Rashi now brings in the interpretation of Unkrus, which actually makes a lot of sense, that it is Kosoch. It's a ring he has on his finger, she can see it, and it is a signet ring. It's completely normal for a person to wear their ring. So there's no surprise for Yehuda Yehuda's not necessarily going to remove his ring, Dafka, because he's shearing his sheep. It's quite normal, the ring should still be on his finger. And she could see it. Okay, so now let's clarify. It's very obvious. It's very obvious. What is Tamar going to ask for from Yehuda? She wants security. She wants to know that he's going to keep his promise of the things he said he was going to send her as a gift. So what kind of things is she going to select? Obviously important things and personally important things. So she's going to choose items that are valuable to him. Otherwise, he doesn't care if he never gets them back. Which would be why it's clear both to us and to Yehuda why these are the items on the list. Secondly, she needs things that have a personal link to him. Because later on, she's going to need these as proof as whose are these? Well, there's got to be some link back. If she takes, let's say, a gold coin, well, there are millions of people who have gold coins. She'd never be able to say, you are the person who owes me something, or as the story pans out, the father of her child. So therefore, it's quite logical for us to conclude as that when she asks for this of Yehuda, She's not looking for the ring because it's a ring and perhaps it has market value. If she just took a regular ring from Yehuda, that wouldn't be an absolute guarantee that he will make sure to get it back because maybe he's wealthy enough to get another ring. And a regular ring wouldn't be personal to him. But if she's got his signet ring. Now, so what did she ask for? And Rashi highlights this, not just by telling us a ring with which one signs, but she's saying, you sign with this ring. Yehuda, this is a very important ring for you because if she has it, she could theoretically forge documents in your name or make business deals in your name. 
It's your ring that you sign with that represents you. She is guaranteed that he's not going to leave that ring with her and he's going to come looking for her and he's going to pay up what he promised her. That's why she chooses this item. That explains why the Torah doesn't call it a ring. Because if the Torah had called it a ring, wouldn't it be telling us the value of the ring in the story? It calls it a signature, a seal. Because that word makes it personal. This is your signet ring. This relates to your identity and your integrity. That explains why Tamar wants it and of course is going to use it as leverage. With that logic, we can now apply the same thing to how Rashi interprets Psilecho. So obviously Rashi is now not going to say, oh, Psilecho is something completely insignificant, just that little girdle that a person wears, which is a dime a dozen, you can get it from wherever. That girdle has no value. And certainly no personal link to Yehuda as an individual. Therefore, Rashi emphasizes it is your special Yehuda cloak. Rashi immediately tells us it's not just a cloak. Same emphasis. This is the cloak that you use to cover yourself. Meaning, the similar boss, do Yehuda bisach meskasem it ear? What's relevant about the fact that you, Yehuda, wear this cloak? It's an indication of your status. This is your cloak that tells people, that, or your cape, or whatever it is, that tells people that you're an important individual. It's like we see with Rivka, that she took Esav's special clothes that represented something that was valuable to him. Or we find Eliezer gives special clothing to Rivka as an indication that he's coming from a noble family. Likewise, Yehuda, because he's such an important individual, the most senior or the greatest leader amongst his brothers, he must have had a special cape or cloak or something that he wore, and that's what she's asking for. That's why Tamar was 100% convinced that this particular cloak, which has such personal relevance to Yehuda, and he's for sure going to come retrieve. And the last one is obviously self-understood. When it comes to the staff, there it says in your hand, not a staff, not a walking stick because you needed to get up a hill. It's your staff. It's in your hand. Where the Pasuk itself there illustrates and highlights. As Tamara Kubet Nitztamashteken Tamara wasn't just asking for an ordinary stick. Now, Dafka Yehudas Ashteken, it's the one from your hand that represents your authority and position. And represents your strength, Yehuda. So the theme right across the board, which Rashi illustrates to us, is Tamara knows that she needs items from Yehuda that he cannot afford to lose. And so he's going to come back and he's going to pay up what he promises her to get his personal items. And that obviously addresses the Ramban's question about what? Is he going to give away his clothing? 
How could it be a suggestion, Rashi, that he leaves his clothing in Tamara's hands? Now it's obvious. It's not all the clothes he had. But it is this overlay of clothing, a cape, a cloak, whatever it is, that indicates his royal status. So now we get the logic of it and we understand where Rashi is going with this. We still have a question, how do you jump from the word pasil, which means a thread, to the word simla, which means a full garment? That is Fashtanik from Pirashashi and Afridika Sedra. We'll understand that all the way back from Pashas Vayetze, where Rashi already actually gave us the tools to understand this. And that's how Rashi does things. If he's explained something before and it would be useful to us now, he doesn't have to repeat it because he knows we have the information. When the Pasuk of Naftali, when the name of Naftali is given, what does Naftali mean? It's this closeness that is now created between me, says Leah, and, and, uh, and Yaakov. So in that Pasuk, Rashi tells us the word Pasil, in addition to meaning a thread, also implies connection. So, like psiltechedes, the, the fringes, the tassels that are connected to the garment in order for tzitzis to happen. That would be the logic why if a person covers themselves with a garment, you can also call it psil, to represent something which is close to the person. So yes, it's not the most obvious way that you would translate the word psil, but it still works. As we mentioned, it's not taba'ascha because we want to illustrate the personal nature and value of this item to Yehuda as his signet ring. So the word psilecha also has this uniqueness and clear message. For the same reason. Because the Torah is using the word psil, which implies connection or linkage. Therefore, that helps us understand why Tamar wants this garment. Something that has a special link to Yehuda. It's part of his persona in a sense. So she's taking something that is linked to who he is. It represents who he is and therefore it's valuable for her to take. So that explains Rashi's um, perspective on these three words, particularly on Chesamcho Psilecha, and that's all at the level of Pshat. Now, there is a massive leap we're about to take into the spiritual connotations of these different items and what they represent in terms of effectively Chesamcho Psilecha represent bringing together two completely unrelated spiritual realities. This is the wine, the depth, the real geschmack of what Rashi teaches us beyond the simplistic. First of all, when we speak about a ring that is used as a signet ring, that's already two extremes. Why? Because on the one hand, Tamar wants that item because it's not because it's a ring. Because a ring is not going to be something so valuable or personally important to Yehuda. Now, the main thing she wants is what's on the ring. 
Yehuda's personal seal that's on the ring, there lies the value. Because it is that signature that represents his importance and his personal link to this ring. And yet on the other hand, yet we're not talking about a classical seal which is its own entity. We're talking about something that is part of the design of the ring. So on the one hand, it's got so much importance because it represents his authority. And on the other hand, it's just part of a ring. So that concept of a ring, which is technically generic, and a choyson, which is highly personalized, that's linked to the concept of a signet ring, vs. vert mavur, in primis atayra, as explained in Hasidus. And that will explain why, according to the mystical elements of Torah, why these are the things Tamar asked of Yehuda. We'll get to all three of them. Let's first look at what a ring is. We'll start with a medrash that talks about creation and the ring of Shabbos. When the Pasuk tells us that David completed the creation on the seventh day, Shtetan Medrash and Medrash says, Rabbonon Omre Moshel Lemelech Shoselotabas. So the Medrash compares the creation of the world to a king who had a ring that was fashioned for him. What was missing from the ring to make it so important and valuable to the king? Choysom, his personal signature, his personal seal. Likewise, when the world was created, what was missing? Shabbos, which is David's personal seal. Does says the Welt on Shabbos is Tabas on A world without Shabbos is a generic ring without David's signet, a seal. On Shabbos is Viachosim Tzut Tabas, and therefore Shabbos is that unique signature of Hashem in the world, the signet ring. Let's understand what that means. Is the beer in them? Tabas for Loshoin Teva, the most obvious link that we can get linguistically is that the word Tabas is linked to the word Teva, which is nature. The Anhogas Teva was doing Welt, the natural process of how the world runs. When you look at the natural processes of the world, you could forget that there is a master of the world. And therefore you can forget that the world belongs to Hashem. Whatever. There's weather cycles, financial cycles, health cycles. That's just how the world works. So Shabbos therefore is the seal, the signet ring. And it is testimony to and a reminder of the fact that the Eibishra creates the world. As does is kever bilavavena mido imunas chidusha oilam. The Sefer Achinoch says Shabbos reminds us that the Eibushter reconstitutes the world constantly. Over Meila, veisman docheich as delem vert nischadosh bechol yom tamid. Shabbos therefore shifts our perspective, not to take the world for granted and assume that they are just cyclic things that happen in the world, but to recognize that the world is being recreated by the Eibushter on a constant basis. But Alter Rebbe does mevori baruch as Alter Rebbe explains in great detail, as we well know, for example, in Tanya. Shariyuchud veimun. So choisam equals Shabbos, tabas equals teva. The same concept plays out in two names of Hashem. One is related to a ring, the generic expression of divine energy. And the other is related to the choysam, the unique interference of superior divine energy. 
So in Shemus, let's look how this relates to Hashem's names. El as we know, is Begimatria Hateva. The name of Akim has the same numerical value as nature, and therefore is the name of Hashem that represents the energy of the natural cycle. On the other hand, Unavaya is Hoyahoyvikechot. Havaya is past, present, and future all rolled into one, meaning it's a completely supernatural reality. Choysom is the Gilui von Shem Havaya. So when we speak about this unique seal of Hashem on the ring, that's like the revelation of the level of Yudke Vavke, which is beyond nature into the world. As we know, Chazal tell us, the Gemara says, that Hashem's signature is truth. What's the link to Havaya? Because the Pasuk says, that the truth of Havaya is eternal. On Havaya, the Shoshman Hanhoganisis, if Elohim is the source of the natural order, Havaya is the source of the miraculous realities. When miraculous things happen, that's when we know the Ebeshter is truly in control. It reminds us and clarifies for us that the Ebeshter is completely beyond the systems and structures and restraints of the world. Now, that's exactly like the story we've just learned about Yehuda and Tamar, why a regular ring would not have the same value for her as the ring that is Yehuda's signet ring. As we've already discussed, it's specifically because of the fact that this ring has Yehuda's seal on it, that's why there is a secure guarantee for Tamar. If it was just a ring, there'd be nothing that would directly link the ring to its owner, to Yehuda. But once I analyze the seal that's on the ring, then I know this belongs to that individual. It is his ring. It's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same distinction between weekdays and Shabbos. In The way the Ebesha constitutes the world during the weekdays is that there are natural cycles where everything is run by a dimension of godliness, Eloikim, which does not express Hashem in an obvious way to us. Even though the power to allow the world to exist originates beyond the name Elikim, at the name Yudkevavka, which is what the name implies, Havaya is Leshoin Mahave. Havaya implies bringing something into existence. The reality is. The natural world is Yudke Vavke being funneled and filtered through Shem Elohim, so we don't see the Shem Havaya. We only see Elohim, which could possibly leave us imagining that Hashem is actually not in the picture. Chas v'sholem. Shabbos totally revolutionizes that and brings into the world Hashem's signature, the truth that the Yibish is in control. Now you have Shema Vaya radiating into the world without the funnel, without the filter, without the blurring, and you actually acknowledge, wow, Hashem is in control. So we've now seen how there's a distinction between a generic ring and a ring that has the, the, the seal on it, that it 
the seal is what identifies who the owner is. That represents Shabbos, that identifies that Havaya is actually the real power that runs the world. Same thing plays out in Spheris as well. Chosom is Spheris HaYesoid. The Tzemach explains that the signature represents Yesoid. Remember, Yesoid is the culminating element of the six Spheris, of the Abishta's expression of different dimensions of godly energy. On Tabas and the ring, which is a little bit more generic, that's Malchus. Malchus, of course, where godliness becomes filtered and funneled and not necessarily so obvious to us. That's why Malchus is where the natural order begins from. And as long as you're still in the realm of Yosoid, which still belongs to the realm of Zah, the six dimensions of God, the energy represented in Atzilus, that is beyond the world, that is the root of all mir- miraculous behavior. Okay, so because we've already ta- learned that the story is not that Yehuda had his personal seal and that's what Tamar wanted but rather not Azachvas is in Der Tabas but there's a unique paradox over here his personal signature on a ring that otherwise would be generic and that's why you need to see the seal on the ring to be able to identify that the ring belongs to Yehuda. Without the seal, you would never know that. That's going to teach us a fundamental principle that there is no divorce between the Shabbos reality and the weekday reality. It's not that we slog all week and then we breathe, disappear into Shabbos. Or that we're enveloped by the world of nature and occasionally a miracle pops into our lives and we're wowed. It's beyond that. Now, Shabbos is the seventh of the six days of the week. It is the day that takes the whole creative process to its ultimate state, to its culmination. Shabbos. Go back to the Midrash. The Midrash didn't say that Shabbos superimposes itself onto the world. It rather says the world is missing something that Shabbos completes and fills. In other words, the goal and the ultimate state of nature is when nature can accommodate and experience supernature. The ultimate state of the world of Helekim is that it allows the world of Havaya to shine without limitation within it. And that translates into how we serve the Abishta, because there are two primary modes of how we serve the Abishta, and they should not be at loggerheads. There are two ways to serve Hashem. One approach is we serve Hashem based on what we understand and to the extent we understand. Through doing that, we're able to engage and draw into this world divine light, but divine light that is relative and relevant to the world. Then, secondly, is the avoid from there's a whole different way to serve Hashem, which is with sacrifice, with absolute dedication that goes beyond logic. That is able to bring into our world a dimension of godliness that is fundamentally beyond 
the reality of creation. Which would actually play out in miracles. So what is the ultimate state of serving Hashem through rational understanding? The ultimate state is when our rational commitment to our Judaism is illuminated by our super rational connection because of our neshama. It's not two different modes that we use at two different times, but rather that in the day-to-day normal activities that we do as Jewish people that make sense, we actually experience the neshama at a level that is beyond what we can understand and make sense. So there, even the want of beer in the minimum from Chesim Tabas. So now that we've explained this concept, explaining what the significance of the ring is and the significance of the seal on the ring, as does the Chibufun Neis Yesoid Unteva Malchus that it's all about bringing together and synthesizing the miraculous reality represented by the six midos and the natural reality represented by nature. That will now help us to understand why Tamar asked specifically for these three things. Now this will be a slightly different explanation because until now we've spoken within the context of the signet ring and seen everything, the harmonizing the two realities only in the signet ring. Now we're looking from a different perspective based on the Zohar that all three of these things relate all to the world of Zohar. They all relate to the world of that which is beyond nature. And Tamar is the one who brings it into the world of nature. Shtetensvarim. As Tamar is Bechina for Malchus. So many places in Hasidus that tell us Tamar, the Darizal brings it as well. Tamar is the representation of the world of Malchus. That's why she wanted these three things. Because the Zohar tells us these three things correspond to three of the higher spheres that are beyond Malchus. Yesoid is Chaisamcha. Yesoid represents the signet ring. Netzach, which is the next level up, is Psilecha, represented by the cloak. And Hoid, which is between uh, Netzach and Yesoid, that's Matcha that represents the staff of authority. More importantly than understanding how the three relate, is understanding the principle. What she wanted to do, Tamar, as the representation of Malchus, is to get hold of the resources that belong to the world of Zah. The accessible resources. Netzachoid and Yesoid are the so-called lower and therefore accessible resources. She wants to get hold of those resources and draw them into her reality to empower her world. Which basically means she wants to bring that which is beyond Malchus into the space of Malchus. We call that in the language of Hasidus, to build up the full opportunity for the power and expansion of Malchus. Okay, so Malchus is effectively the energy that runs our world, and we want to build it up not just to be limited to the realities of our world, but to be accessible to a reality beyond our world. That's what Tamar wants to achieve. That's why, look how the story plays out. Yehuda and Tamar come together, and what happens as a result is Giborin Giborin Peretz. They have a child called Peretz, Vosfonem, is the Opstam for Malchus Bezdovit Biz Mashiachen. 
He is the progenitor of the entire lineage of David's kingdom all the way to Mashiach. That says, in other words, the concept of constructing Malchus into its fullest potential, to realizing its fullest potential, which will only really happen when Mashiach comes, this is where it begins. Yehuda and Tamar, they start this process of building up what will eventually be this fully fledged Malchus. That gives us another layer of understanding why Rashi says Chesamcha means a ring, specifically a ring with a seal on it. Why do, we know it's a, why do we need to know it's a ring? Well, for a start, we've already identified that the Chesam, the, the actual seal, represents the world of Atsilas and specifically Yesoid. Whereas the ring, which is much more ge- uh, generic and related to the word Teva, that represents Malchus, a diminished type of energy of Hashem. Right, so now you're bringing together two opposites because Yosef and Malchus are two completely different realities, two completely different worlds. They should not be able to live in the same space. One is about expressing infinite divine energy and the other one is about limited funneled divine energy. Well, the chosem and tabas, the blending of the seal and the ring, is like the blending of Yehuda and Tamar, the binyana malchus, which allows the construction of this new reality of malchus. Which means, where what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring this incredible supernatural divine energy into a very natural space. How do you do that? You need a very special energy to be able to do so. So the hint to what this great energy is in the explanation of the Badayatosvis that he gave her a ring as Kiddushin. In other words, they're saying that this was not just a one-night experience, but it was a true Kiddushin. It was a marriage which is the source of our custom to use a ring in a wedding. Now, we really got to understand this. We know that the Torah says in order to do a Kiddushin, you have to give a woman something of value. Why does it have to be a ring? Where does a ring come from? And it's obviously such a central thing that even till today, that's how we get married. We use a ring. Why? What's the link? The fact that the Torah would introduce, at least according to the Bale Tosvas, this concept of marrying with a ring, in this story, means it's got to be some kind of link and connection. The beer and dams, the explanation is, says Yodua, here's where we get to the special energy that brings opposites together. We know as the Gidu von Kirchhoi in Seif Doin Welt, the only way you can bring two opposites to harmonize together is you have to introduce the Kirchhoiin Seif. The Ebishta's unlimited, infinite, undefined, unfettered energy that has no problems with things that appear to be contradictory and can blend them together. Now, how does a human being ever get access in normal life to Oren Sof? 
Marriage is the place where we experience Ein because the objective of marriage is to build a home that will last forever, an infinite home, an infinite relationship, not only between the two, but in the generations that will come from them. That's why marriage is similar to the concept of bringing together two opposites, the seal and the ring the supernatural and the natural. Because in order to do that, you have to be able to realize and manifest and reveal in our physical, limited, finite world Hashem's infinite reality. Because the ultimate, ultimate stage of this blending of Yesoid, Malchus, miraculous and natural, the seal and the, and the ring, which is only going to play out in the time of Mashiach, started originally with the relationship between Yehuda and Tamar. That's why this story is the story that teaches us about a ring, because the ring in the wedding is supposed to represent this entire theme of bringing the infinite godliness into ordinary life, which in Mitzvah we succeed in doing so that we can bring the Giloy of Ur and Seif into our world with Mashiach now.